From Yoga Ayurveda Living, I am Kelly Marie Mills, and this is The Dosha Light, a podcast for wellness seekers, curators of happiness, and lovers of healthy living. Yoga and Ayurveda are sister traditional sciences seeking health in body, mind, and soul. Welcome to my happy place. This is Series 2, Digesting Our Life. The last in this series, Digesting Our Life with Imbalance. With that title, Digesting Our Life with Imbalance, it feels like we're already at a major junction of dysfunction. The reality is our physical body is so forgiving of our oversights, our undersights, our lack of understanding and internal communication, our superpower of will, and continued behavioral patterns that drive us into all sorts of problems like burnout, all the itises and isms, the noyas, it might seem like we are leading ourselves into many different types of early graves. Some of us power through. Others, it makes no sense in our nonsensical decisions. And some of us are so sleepy and tired, it's like we're asleep all the time. And all the while... Being very intelligent human beings to the outer world life and inwardly curling in a little corner of the mind, whispering to a small part of ourselves, I hope you, this body, can continue to do what it needs to do without me having to do anything. But I know I could try. I could try and reduce coffee. I could stop eating so many sweets and sugary things. I can reduce my workload, stop smoking, bin alcohol. I know I need to laugh more. And I'm going to start a diet. Soon, on a Monday. I can make it to a Friday, certainly. (laughs) And to be fair, they have actually done research on when is the best day to start something, and the most long-term success comes from starting something new on a Monday. So in this episode, we look at all the go-to digestive experiences of each dosha, and some remedies that may surprise you. I know I covered a few already, but we're just going to revamp over some. I'm going to give you a few more that you can think about. In fairness, Ayurveda does require a bit of education just so that we can develop the awareness that we need to find out how to help our body. And then when we become balanced, even just a small bit, the next step is the maintenance of internal balance through the aging process, because that's another consistent change as we age. And aging is basically a drying process and so we look after vata more once we're over 50. But anything worth, worth its salt in this world needs to get the brain engaged. The impulse is flowing in the best direction and the flow of energy growing to build an appetite for change and sustain what we can implement. If we have no education, we go along living symptomatically. And it's not a sustainable decision for complete wellness. Living in rhythm with your natural balance is a long-term sustainable health decision that creates whole being wellness, body, mind, and soul. And I always feel it's like when you're under the weather, hopefully you're lucky enough to have someone who cares about you that comes to check on you, might get you some soup, remind you to rest, keep hydrated, and keep you nourished, at least until you recover. And then when you're better, you can thank them and Look after them if they ever need it. 
once we do feel better, we start to review exactly what happened to our immune system function, thinking that there must have been something wrong because you got sick and you haven't had a cold in five years. But after thinking about it, you see that you've had a bit of stress in the last year, just a tad few changes to cope with that may have left you a bit low on energy to fight certain things. And you listen to the internal knowledge. Admit to yourself, it's very healthy to get a cold. It's great for the immune system. It's just like that irritating message on your phone. New system update available for immunity configuration. Update now. <laughs> and of course, I always put my update up for later. But when it comes to our immune system, we need these little bits of challenge so that the immune system can update its internal mechanisms. And just a reminder, our digestion is run by our agni, our digestive power. Our digestion is colored by our dosha balance or imbalance. Pitta owns the digestive system, that's its home, that's where it resides in firstly. If Pitta is out of balance, it's all about the burn. And this can be like a volcano of bile trying to find a better way out. And eventually if it can't go out, it stays in and burns through, like an ulcer. So if Vata is out of balance, it knocks everything out first. We get variable business going on which can be a festival of fireworks or nothing at all, all in one week or even in a day. And what happens long-term if vata continues to create problems in the digestive system is that it can affect pitta too, and they all hop on the bad wagon, and our nourishment gets depleted very fast. We can still eat, but we can't digest everything we eat. I remember learning some of these tools, and I would get a bit confused, so I just wanted to clarify this point. The difference between pitta and vata Pitta's imbalance is generally consistent. It doesn't get less or change how it is. It just arrives and can, and can very slowly, creepingly get hotter. Vata's digestion has highs and lows, creating a lot of variability. So we don't know sometimes when we're hungry. We don't know exactly how our digestion is. And yes, digestion from vata it can be high. This doesn't mean it's a pitta problem. It means vata is pushing pitta out of balance. So it's hard to nail down a vata digestion, whereas pitta digestion, we know, it's hot. If kapha, is, if kapha is out of balance, you can count on your digestion to become as slow as a slug. And this, unlike the other two, its slowness creates its own toxicity. And so if there's going to be some chance of digesting the nourishment, it's all undone by the toxins created by the lethargic digestion, which makes a very lethargic person. Compared to vata, kaphas use the toilet on a regular basis unless vata is interfering. Vata problems involve a stop in movement, a stop in the apanavayu working properly. Kapha's digestion can be super slow, as they say, a bit late in the day. Does that help? In fairness, none of the digestive problems are comfortable, but all are salvageable through dietary changes and some lifestyle changes too. Like I always tell my kids, Put a smile on your face and a song in your heart, and things will feel better. So we'll just cover some of the bigger secrets for digestive correction from Ayurveda. And if you use any of these, let me know. The results normally are amazing. For vata stability, it's very much based on the mind, which doesn't give me a lot of hope. But anyway, no, really, it's just we divert for a moment in this episode because it's the last of series two. I want to remind everyone that my main aim for this podcast was to bring Ayurveda to anyone interested 
and their own wellness from a traditional medicine over 5,000 years old. I love that Ayurveda and yoga helped me to understand how I operate, how my digestive system operates, and most importantly, how my mind operates. But also, it helped change how I view others. The Sandlad has this great saying, don't get mad at the person. They are as they are meant to be. It is the doshas that cause them to act out of balance. So we can always try and help others and teach them a little bit about themselves. Reminding yourself, I'm not mad at him or her. It's their pitta that's far too high, making them reactive and angry. Or it's their vata that's too high, making them forgetful, so they're late for our Zoom meeting. Or it's their kapha that just can't get them out of bed to go for our early morning walk like they promised. Using that tool to see yourself, but also others too. It's a gorgeous way to see those you love and those you are not so enamored with too. It helps to keep our own doshas in balance by looking at it more objectively. We covered the gunas last week and trying not to overload the mind. So thinking of vata in balance, I was talking about sattva, rajas, and tamas and how they are the principles of life. They exist in our life and they affect our subtle doshas, those of the mind. Our subtle doshas don't have ama, but they have these three energies keeping them in balance, whatever that is in that given moment. And that balance, whichever dominates, can increase the activity that we do, which can create agni deficiency and then ama in our body. So their weighty balance is helpful or not helpful. We need the gunas to remain in balance, but if tamas is the one that's dominating more than the others, we feel heavy more, we feel super grounded, sluggish, and there can be a quality of darkness, cloudiness in our mind, dragging us downward. If we have balance, but it's rajas that dominates more, we are bursting, we're super active, we're scattered, we're on the go constantly. We lean towards aggression, kind of like the warrior without balance. And if sattva is dominant most, we are collected, we're cool, calm. We can absorb all things, we're clear. But it's, it's a balance of sustaining. But what we need for complete wellness is to get the balance correct. So one is not stronger than the other. That all three have balance in their timing. One is not completely dominant of the other. And that's why it takes work. It is a practice. And that's why meditation can become the greatest lifelong path of, as the Dalai Lama says, artful living. Vata and the mind are based on the same elements, space and air, which equals movement. So when we stabilize our mind, we stabilize Vata. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? But it's not because we've already seen the gunas can create chaos or inertia. The mind is stabilized in various ways, but using the breath is a very good first tool for vata problems. Because breath too needs stabilizing as it is a part of vata itself. So if our mind is unbalanced, vata gets unbalanced, our breath gets unbalanced. And the breath is the go-between for body and mind. It's the middle man or the middle gal. Our breath is the anchor for our mind. 
If you're already using yoga for better breathing, that's a good place to start. Yoga breathing practices start at a base level of opening the door wider for our parasympathetic nervous system to wake up the relaxed response. This reduces heart rate, blood pressure, stress drops, and then the body has time to reconnoiter, gather itself, and work out exactly a better decision for moving forward. Friday's relaxation, or last Friday's relaxation, I did a practice on complete internal balance using the vayus, the subdoshas of vata. I did make it so it requires a little bit of time to get everyone to try and stop for more than 10 minutes. And to be honest, we should all feel free to give ourselves over 20 minutes at this stage in almost a whole year of worldwide change. So what stops you from practicing a longer meditation or relaxation more often? Once you have the basics of breathing or yogic breathing being used regularly and you're finding great benefit, the most highly regarded breathing practice of all in Ayurveda is the one that sustains vata balance, and that's Nadi Shodhana, or alternate nostril breathing. This creates long-term balance for vata problems when it's used correctly. It creates space for a sattva to expand in our subtle doshas. However, it is hard to do Nadi Shodhana or alternate nostril breathing when vata is well into increasing or you're feeling that you're getting completely distracted. Like if I was really upset, I would not go straight away to Nadi Shodhana. And it's not a practice that you should try without learning the initial breathing practices first. There's plenty of other practical tools that help. For me, I would first always go to my breath and awareness, and then I would move to the oil practice, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Vata needs the mind and body uniting. The heavy material body helps the airy vata settle. And we can do this in many various ways. You know them all. Yoga, breathing, slowing down. Regularity for vata is primary solution. Wise, earthy food choices and making time to have fun. For digestive imbalances, it's all about the activity of eating, drinking, chewing, and those questions, when, why, where, how. And last, a big bout of vata when overwhelmed, anxious, bloating, wind, or pain in vata regions like the lower back, lower belly, legs, pelvis. So once there's pain, this directs us straight to vata. Vata is being forced to stop moving in the correct di direction or painfully stopping altogether. So if there's pain, it's a sign that vata is increasing and it's vata you have to look after first. So we can use this Ayurvedic local application of oil, which is a lifesaver for anyone that has pain in their lower belly or back at any stage in their life. It's the most amazing cure I ever came across and I used it for many, many years and I've gone back to it again. It can help some pitta problems and it definitely helps kapha problems too by bringing heat into the di digestive system. But for pitta, using this practice, the heat must only be short term so you don't heat pitta too much and you change the oil from coconut oil to sunflower oil. And for kapha, the heat can stay down longer, but because kaphas are more oily than vata, you won't need to add as much oil. None of the doshas should have the heat on their body without oil first. This cure is snehana, 
and it's very simple. We use sesame oil for vata problems and I use medicated oil and sesame oil itself is fine. Don't use the toasted stuff, otherwise you'll smell like a roasted nut. <laughs> what you do is you, you warm the oil like you would baby's milk from a bottle. Don't use a microwave, please. And then you place the warmed oil on the area that's bothering you. It could be a hip area, mainly it's lower belly or lower back or kidney area for vata problems. You put on the oil warmed and I would always use a good puddle of oil and then you use a dishcloth or a tea towel and you place that onto your skin and then you put on a hot water bottle and you sit back. So I would set this up on the couch. I always put a towel underneath me. I more often than not use it in bed just before bedtime. And then I practice the meditation. That's how I do it. It's a real soothing practice. It releases vata straight away and grounds it down because of the heavy unctuousness of the oil. And for pizza, if you play, sorry, for va kapha, if you place it on your tummy, you're going to increase the digestive power. And it's the same for vata. It's also great for cramping in the stomach, any type of cramping. Pizza, you'd want to, excuse me, you just want to change the oil if you're going to use it. So we move on to pitta digestive imbalances. And our eating habits need to be planned in advance and prepared before we get home. We must express gratitude in our words and action so that our grievances do not become overwhelming to us so that we have to act it out through frustration and anger. We can use our grievances as a tool for meditation and loving-kindness practices. We cannot hold on to anger because anger is stronger than bile and it will eat away at us like a sour lemon. We need to regularly assess our enjoyment of eating and make sure it exists because pittas, they do get impatient and lack of patience comes from a low-grade source of anger. You can always use aloe vera gel for high acid bouts, those short-term things where you know that you've eaten something you shouldn't, but it's not a long-term practice. Like any other dosha, it requires you looking into your diet. To rebalance pitta, you should look at foods that are bland for about three weeks and see how that helps. Reduce any intake of sour, salty, fermented foods. Basically eating only whole foods and kind of steering away from anything spicy. And fermented foods are often those that are changed from their basic initial element and turned into something else like yogurt has come from milk. Anything that's like alcohol, pickles, things like that, anything sour too. For kapha, our digestive imbalances are slow to arrive and slow to go. We need to get active and really help the body heat up to release the coolness of a kapha type. And this movement helps the stagnant energy, that earthiness shift. A slow-moving digestion will hold on for days digesting things like Kaffa's mind holding on, ruminating, chewing on something over and over, and holding on to it just in case it has to let it go. For Kaffa, eating less of what they love can energize them. It can make them feel the feistiness of not getting what they want. It's good for them to get shook up a bit. It awakens their real source of power, which is their internal stability that embraces change. Kaffa types can be really active because they feel lighter in their heart when they do not hold on to all that they love. They're not hanging on to everything and trying to keep it inside. 
Kapha types, when we begin to see that we can indeed love with freedom, that's when freedom becomes a part of the exciting part of life. Freedom is liberation. It's butterfly energy. It is exactly what Kapha needs. Small, flighty, happy energy. Kapha types need to lighten their food sources and see that because they are made of earth, foods that are heavy are too hard for them to, to digest because it's more like themselves. We want the digestion to move better, and that means eating more green vegetables, eating spicier foods, eating smaller po portions. And for all of us to look at how Ayurveda sees our stomach size, so hold out your hands and make a fist of each hand and bring the hands together, just fisting them together, Looking at your left hand fisted, and that is the amount of chewed food that your stomach can hold, or that your stomach should have in any given meal. And your right hand, if you visualize it split in half, half of it should be fluid intake during the meal, and it should be room temperature. And the other half should be space to help the food and water have the ability to move around so that the stomach can digest the food completely. And so there you go. That's how much we should have in any meal. No more, and we can always have less. So what does it take to make change? Change, really. What's that old saying about yoga teachers and the light bulb? How many yoga teachers does it take to change a light bulb? It only takes one yoga teacher. But the light bulb has got to want to change. <laughs> so <laughs> what does it take to have Ayurveda work for your imbalances? It does take a little knowledge. It takes a lot of understanding. And from my point of view, it takes a lot of kindness. It takes a deep driving desire. And most of all, I have found the secret to it is timing. Admitting also that there's a certain time in our life where we can do things and another certain time in our life where we find that it's too difficult. The next thing is admitting that life is a process and this Ayurveda, it is an organic process. It can become your metamorphosis. But whatever it is, whatever you choose, whatever brings you to see how beautiful you are, I think it does require trust in the traditions that it's based on. And perhaps it is an accumulation of a bunch of things that sets you on a path to this podcast and into a bit of Ayurveda. For me, it took years, but the biggest change is learning to trust my own discernment and love my own natural rhythm. So thank you for joining me today in our imbalances. Talk to you in the next episode. <music> <laughs>